When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Like coming home to the smell of dinner, the warmth of the house, and the smile of your partner, we are back to domestic league football, people. The Premier League is back, the Serie A is back, and more importantly, the Anglo-Italian pod is back. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. Hey, Rory, I hope you weren't talking about me with that cheeky smile, but... <laughs> oh, you know I can't resist your cheeky smile, Adam. You of know course, I can't resist mate. it. Of course, but in the words of Sari... Is there smoke in Saudi Arabia? If there is, I might be joining there. <laughs> we will be there. That's another thought. That's there. another thought for another Just day. imagine that guy on shisha pipes. That's the last thing he needs. <laughs> Can you imagine that on the sidelines? <laughs> just casually just doing a bong. But yes, there. keeping well, mate. <clears throat> keeping well here. How are things in Milan? Uh, yeah, all good. All good. Shock. I'm ill again. Um, surprise, surprise. Yeah, just, it, it's awful. But... Um, I'm all good. Looking forward to my weekend in Madrid. I'm going to try and catch some highlights somewhere across the weekend. (laughs) So don't expect me to be fully briefed. But yeah, I am. um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy that football is back. Proper football is back. I just, I don't understand what people who don't follow football do at the weekends. I just don't understand what they do. How do they fill their weekends? What do you think? I don't get what they do. Yeah, it feels like they have to take up new hobbies or something like that. But you know, football managers there, I suppose, to fill that lull. Um, I'm sure you've been craving a bit of football manager. It's been a while, hasn't it? I've I've been absolutely hammering it, to be honest. <laughs> but Barry, you're making me very, very angry. Um, but we don't have time to get into that. We don't no, have time. No, um, time. <laughs> we, there's so much to talk about. Uh, so this show, we are going to be doing a quick roundup of the European action. Um, who qualified, who didn't, who are in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, some exciting ties looking there. We'll be talking about the momentous vote or temporary Mm. vote that took place in the Premier League yesterday regarding multi-club ownership and um, the loans. We'll be talking about that. And of course, we'll be looking forward to the return of Italian and English domestic football as we have the Derby d'Italia, we have Manchester City, Liverpool, we have Napoli, Atalanta, Mm. um, we have Chelsea, Newcastle. There are some big games this weekend. So we are going to take a very, very quick break. And on the other side, we will see you there. All right, we are back, and there are no more international breaks until March, people. Woo! We've got through it. 
Um, but there was some vaguely exciting football, I suppose, to finish off the um, the the round. Yes. Um, Stephen Kenny has officially left Ireland. Um, Surprise. He, yeah, I know. Mm. None of us saw it coming, but he did put up a quite an emotional post, which was quite mm. nice. Um, I think he's like been a really good ambassador for League of Ireland football and Irish football in yeah. general. So I don't think it's the last we'll see of him, um, and we wish him very well. But I mm. think it's probably the best for all parties. Um, I don't know if you did see it, but Wales-Turkey was an interesting game. Did you manage to catch any of it? Didn't catch it, but I captured the result, wasn't it? It's quite a yeah. tight game in the end by the look of things. Well, the referee had an interesting, very, very interesting evening. He gave Turkey the softest penalty going. Like, it really was a very, very soft penalty. And Wales had two Stonewall penalties turned down. <sighs> now, if Wales, if results had gone another way, mm. Wales wouldn't have even got the playoffs. And I think... Like they needed, Cro- they needed. If Armenia had beaten Croatia, sorry, mm. then Wales would have been out completely. Had that happened, I think there would be a lot more controversy about yes. that refereeing performance. Sure. Um, because Ben Davies, as well, the guy from Spurs, mm. Ben yes. Davies, yeah. um, he was quite funny. He was like proper haranguing the ref, and you and you know when you can like really lip read someone, and you can like <laughs> lip read someone's accent. You could hear like the South <laughs> Wales accent coming out of it as he was moaning at the referee about the decisions, but it was a really, really disgraceful refereeing performance. Right. It was really bad. Um, Wales looked a bit... I think it's still a good result for them, though. A draw against Turkey is still a massive result. Like, Turkey just beat Germany the game before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I th- Germany is shit, but... Yeah, well, this is it. I think also there was that kind of piece around Vincenzo Montella doing quite mm-hmm. good things with Turkey. So, And, you know, I think... I won't say those words, Rory. We won't talk about them and horses. Um, but certainly all I would say is they've got a talented group of players, right? And um, they're, they're missing Arda Gula, who's at Real Madrid at the moment. So, yeah. so providing he comes back to form in terms of recovery as well, um, could be an interesting team to look out for, Rory. Um, so, yeah, Wales will probably feel a bit unlucky. But I think... Really, the um, job was done in the previous result, the round where they uh, were drew against Armenia, right? So they needed to win that game and that would have helped them out in terms of the qualification. But as it is, it does look like they've got um, a shot potentially now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting on my timeline, there was a previous run out of the Finland versus Wales where Craig Bellamy gives his uh, views i don't know if you saw this clip but um i love that clip oh. but tell the listeners yeah but yeah not to spoil it too much because i don't think i'll do it justice but essentially he says both wales and finland were terrible on this occasion even though finland won 2-0 okay. and uh, rory almost spat out his uh, drink there yeah um just for reference for anyone that's listening um but yeah essentially uh, he said they were both shit and they both wouldn't deserve a chance of qualification anyway. So two crap teams. Two I think crap teams. Yes. Two crap teams. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. looks like uh, that will that. be playing in terms of the Finland uh, dressing room potentially. Rather mm-hmm. than that picture on the dartboard, it will be that video of what Craig Bellamy <laughs> said in that particular interview. And maybe that will stir them up in terms of getting them the results. I don't know. But Finland are a bit better. I would say, in terms of players, than possibly they were back then. It's probably I think very it's difficult, hard to isn't it? Read, isn't it? Because they've got Poyan po- Palo from Venezia, right? Mm-hmm. They've got Timu Puki, so they've got two fairly Glenn decent Kamara strikers there as well. In that squad, they've got Glenn Kamara in midfield. They have got a fairly decent team, but yeah. I do 
maybe it's just like from the fact I'm more familiar with the Wales team than I am with the when the Finland team. But I do kind of think that's a pretty nice tie for Wales. I think that's something yeah. they can they can definitely get through that. Now, obviously, there's still issues with Robert Page, and there's still issues with they're not at the level they were mm. at a few years ago. But I think if you'd have asked Wales, I think they'd have taken Finland, to be honest. I think that's probably one of the nicer ties they could have had. Definitely. Um, I might just share for those that are watching what the uh, actual uh, games are looking like for the playoffs, because I think there's some interesting ones, Rory, um, if we look at it in terms of the matchups. Obviously, we've got my very own Poland taking on Estonia, uh, which was... uh, blessing i suppose at this stage um but if we <laughs> yeah. look at the other paths so we've got israel versus iceland and bosnia herzegovina taking on ukraine that feels like a tasty tie i don't know about you um but the interesting one as well um path c obviously your very own rory kazakhstan taking they've got on it pretty hard Greece. There. yeah and then and if they get past that there. stage then they have to face either luxembourg or georgia now i spoke yeah. to you on the group as well Georgia will be missing Kvaratskhelia for this leg as well. So, yeah, this is going to be not straightforward for any of those sides. I would say probably of all the teams, potentially you could say maybe Greece is the strongest of all the teams that are in this central lineup. I I don't know. I think Greece have been quietly improving. Like mm. I know, obviously they got they got that draw against France, which is massive. I know France still didn't have much to to like. There was nothing resting on that game, but they did just go out and do Gibraltar fourteen nil. Like <laughs> they were obviously still up for winning, um, and for them to come from two nil down, I think they did. Yeah, they came from. Oh no, yeah, they came, so they equalized twice, didn't they? Mm. No, they went two one up, and then then France equalized. So for them to take the lead against France is really yeah. impressive. I think they're a team that has been quietly improving because since their Euros win, which was a very very long time ago, yeah, they, I think you know, Greek decline, football has they? been in a bit of a, a bit of a dirge. There's not really mm. been much quality come out of that country, but you've seen players like Simicas kind of make moves, and there's a few yeah, Greek exactly. players now getting around. I think we're seeing a bit of a rise there. So yeah, I think they're probably the best team in the within those. Um, mm. oh, my math is terrible. Oh my god, four, eight, twelve games, teams. Um, I think that is probably the strongest team there. Um, one thing that does stick out to me is if we end up with Israel Ukraine, that is an interesting <laughs> match considering geopolitics at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, that could be a very interesting one. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to leave that there. I don't want to say anything else. Um, but how do you feel about Poland's chances? Estonia, I'm really surprised that they're even in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. How I, do you feel about that tie? I think I'm, in one sense, happy that we've still got a chance, if that makes sense. But I'm also mm-hmm. at that point where I'm accepting we're not going to be good enough to get out of these kind of playoffs at this moment in time. I just... We struggled against Latvia in a friendly uh, Rory on mm-hmm. Tuesday night. It was a 2-0 win for Poland. Uh, a lot of intensity in the first half, which helped us get the two goals. But thereafter, we really struggled. Um, and I suppose um, that's what the coach has been reflecting on, is that we still haven't got a group of players that are pushing themselves at that standard. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's 
running on my mind right now is that whilst we have got individually really quality players like your Zelinskis, like your Lewandowskis, for example, and there's still more players to come into it. There's um, talk about Jakub K- uh, Moda even, sorry, at Brighton, who's nice. just got back into training down there. De Zerbi apparently likes what he sees with Jakub Moda, but he's taking his time, obviously, because he's had a bad injury. So, um, obviously, Michal Probesz, who is the national coach for Poland, he's kind of said, look, not going to rule him out, but I'm not going to say he's going to be part of this squad. And um, the interesting part was also that he's looking at having a training camp for what he considers as the B-sides. Do you remember when England used to have a B-side? Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah his yeah, philosophy I think is Matt Letizia played. Yeah, do you remember? It's like Steve Guppy got his one yeah, and only yeah, cup and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's looking at this as a potential bridge between players that are on the cusp of maybe making themselves mm. more of a household name for the national team, and those that maybe he just wants to have a look at. You know, where maybe when he gets like a playoff game, he doesn't necessarily have that opportunity. So he's looking to introduce the it's training sensible camps, and I think that's yeah, yeah, probably yeah. the main thing, isn't it? It's trying to have games that potentially that they can test these players out and then put them in because you know Sebastian Shemansky even sorry who had a great season at Feyenoord obviously he's in Turkey right now but he didn't have a great game against Latvia and this is the kind of thing that I think is playing on a lot of the minds is what is our kind of ideal midfield at the moment we haven't really worked that one out and yeah there's a lot going on I think the problem is the backdrop of Fernando Santos terrible campaign and now coming into this, we, we need results, right, Rory? So you rely mm-hmm. on your talismanic players like your Zielinski's and Lewandowski, and no doubt they will turn up. But that's, yeah. I think, what we're lacking at the moment is people to step up and be counted, if that makes sense. So big game against Estonia. I imagine we'd win that. But I think, yeah, Wales would be, the game would be in Wales. So you've got the home crowd of Wales playing uh, there. Poland have got a good record in Wales, though. They've got a fantastic okay. record in Cardiff. The last time we played them, we won 1 0, courtesy of Svidersky. He got us through, um, if nice. you remember. Um, and then before that, prior to that, I remember us beating them 3 2 in Cardiff as well. So we've got heritage of winning away in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. So that helps us. But I am conscious that this is a different Wales squad different Wales team um, in terms of that supporters, you know, they're going to be up for it as well. Oh yeah. And it probably won't be in the principality stadium. I suspect no, it might be like in the, the Cardiff city's grounds. They um, like the Cardiff city. Don't so they? They get, potentially um, there might be a different atmosphere there. Um, yeah. When they get that song, I'm on a heed, the, the, yeah. the Welsh anthem, it is a banger and it does yes. get people fired up. I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's some pretty exciting ties there, mm. but I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to put myself on the spot afterwards. Sure. The three teams that get through, Adam, let's do it. Let's put, let's say Poland for Parfait. I'm going to put okay. my neck on the line and <laughs> probably get shot for it. I'm going to say for Path B, I fancy Bosnia. Bosnia-Herzegovina. Oh, wow. okay. I'm going to go for that. And then Path C, I'm going for Greece. Sorry, Rory. I'm... Okay, I'm going to say Wales. Sorry, Adam. Yep. Um, I'm going to say Ukraine. I think they are a very, mm-hmm. very good team. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, yeah, probably Greece. Yeah. 
No, you know what? Kazakhstan, I'm going to, someone has to believe <laughs> Kazakhstan are going to get there because they, they had the bloody chance and they really, really need to get there. I need to see them at a championship. So I'm going to say, there you go. What Wales, say, Ukraine, Don't write, write off Luxembourg. Luxembourg are one of those teams that seem to be getting better and better every time we see them. Yeah, so yeah. I would now, say that's going to be a tough game whoever's to got lot, to face but... them. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. see. Let's see. Well, very nice. That is the last of the kind of international football for a while, I suppose. Um, mm. We will see you again soon. I am looking forward to the summer. Um, obviously, the European <laughs> Championships are going to be sick. But I tell you who aren't potentially looking forward to it very quickly. Germany. They are in a right bloody mess. Um, yeah. They lost 3-2 to Turkey at home. Um, Kai Havertz played left back. <laughs> yes, but did scored. See this, yeah. He did score. Um yeah. Nagelsmann, he got quite a good start when he they had that game in the USA and they had a bit of like stag do effort out in the US and it looked like they were turning things around a bit. But they really, really do look completely lost. I can't really yeah. put my finger on what it is with the Germany team at the moment, but it doesn't really feel like there's much get up and go. It no. all feels quite casual. Like when you mm-hmm. watch them, it feels quite... Yeah, just casual. Have you seen much of them? Have you been impressed? I haven't seen too much of them, but what I did see, if I'm trying to dig out the game itself, they did play a horrendous game under Hansi Flick, if I remember rightly, where the play, this was where they were getting booed. Yeah, it could be that Japan game where they lost 4-1. That's it. Yeah. 4-1. And on that occasion, it wasn't necessarily that, Germany weren't playing too badly, but defensively, they were all over the place. They kind of just, the lines, and it was just a complete shock. And um, what I did uncover through a lot of other podcasts is um, that there seems to be some criticism towards Gundogan as well in this particular kind of placement as well, Mm. because it feels like he's getting a lot of stick for either not being more demanding of his players. I think there was that uh, comment, obviously, out of the um, dressing room where he was um, saying that they weren't feeling more defeatist about that. You know, they they weren't showing their emotions. Uh, Obviously, he's used to that kind of mentality with maybe Man City. And um, yeah, he was getting a bit annoyed with his counterparts as well. But I think Mm -hmm. there is something not right psychologically. Um, Obviously, there's that famous documentary all or nothing on the german team at the world cup as well which highlights a lot of issues at the german camp at the moment but rory i think this is a team that is it feels like it's going through a transition again it's one of those where they've had a generation of players and now they're stuck they're going through that transition so how do you read the position i mean do you think nagelsman is the right person to get a performance of that out of that team even by the euro finals I think, look, them losing to Austria as well is shocking. As yeah, well, exactly. But um, look, I think you can't change manager again. Nagelsmann, if he's going to be a project manager, let him be the project manager. But what I see in that squad is a lot of technically very, very, very outstanding, very good footballers. Mm. But they don't have that water carrier, the guy who's going to like absolutely just graft mm. and like just run and Harry and like they're trying to play quite high intense pressing football, but they've got a lot of very pretty footballers like Muziala mm. and these like incredible like magicians, but no one who's like, 
like a bit of a shit house in midfield who's yeah, just yeah. going to win the ball back and do the dirty work. And I feel like they're maybe missing that type of player in general. So mm. if you don't have that and you're not able to do this high pressure football, maybe you need to be looking at how you play. And the thing is with Nagelsmann, I think he is quite adaptable. I think he is quite like pragmatic. So I think he just needs to look at what approach they're going to take. And if mm. they need to, if they're good enough to stamp their own authority on football matches, or they need to be like, right, we need to just play how we need to, to, de- to defeat the team in front of us. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think they just haven't got that. There's not enough all round in that squad. I don't think um, mm-hmm. if you're playing Kai Havertz at left back, that screams to me, you're missing a few things. Well, yeah. Like, if was, you know what I mean, I was looking at their squad just now and although I kind of recognize a few of the names, right. I was looking at the front line in particular and it's not the German side that you normally associate the way there's always one talismanic sort of yeah, striker, yeah, yeah. right? So we, there's still Nicholas Fulkrig, who's what, 33? He's doing all right. He's at doing Dortmund, okay at Dortmund. He's not a, but he yeah. wasn't someone that was known about previous to obviously his, uh, what was it, club? The was World it Eintracht club. Frankfurt yeah, yeah. before he was yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, no, Werder Bremen. And before that, he's played for mm. numerous like smaller clubs, shall we say. So Nuremberg, for example, and Hanover, 96. So he's not someone that you would associate as being a goal-scoring threat. And then you look yeah, at yeah. the others, like you got uh, Chris Furick at Stuttgart. I know Stuttgart mm. are having a better season this time around. But again, when you look at his record, he's not, not anything that stands out. Yeah, um, yeah. Marvin Dukesh as well. Uh, brought in from Werder Bremen. Now, if you look at his return, it's almost like a goal every other game. So it's not too bad. Not but bad. again, it, it doesn't inspire you to kind of like associate you to the Miroslav Klose or, you know. Yeah, well, it's not proven on no. the international stage, is it? If you know what I mean, no. it's all. So I think, yeah, it's a team that's, and they've not got a lot of time to really turn it around because they're hosting a tournament, which will help having a home crowd, etc. But what you really don't want is to not reach the knockout stages in a home tournament. Yeah. The only thing I would say to Germany fans is don't be too discouraged because everybody said this about Russia when they hosted the World Cup and that they were mm-hmm. the worst host nation team in, in history. And they weren't. They got through. They beat Spain. They had a very, yeah. very good tournament. And you can't be any worse than Qatar, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Standards fine. are low, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always that flaw that you cannot get worse than. Um but that is officially the last of the domestic football, uh, the international football. Sorry, it came yeah. to me as I was uh, wrapping up. But we are done, guys. We're cool. done. Um, and we're going to head to the Premier League. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a a vote. Now, I think this this is going to come back down the road later. This oh, is kind massively. of like a temporary, temporary vote for now. But it was all just geared towards the January transfer window. And it is the idea of teams transferring players between clubs that are owned by the same owners. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at multi-club ownership and getting around financial fair play. And before I go off on a ginormous (laughs) rant about this, not just what annoys me about these people, right? And I'm talking about the Saudis or I'm talking about Todd Bowley or these multi-clubs that have come in and bought these, like, and made these superpowers in the game, right? Mm -hmm. It's not enough for them to have unlimited wealth. And for them to already have every advantage above the other 14 clubs in the league. That's not enough for them. They have to come in and they have to find a way to cheat. They go, no, 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 we we still can't play by the rules. 
we we're going to have to do this because we they have never been told no in their life. They've never not got what they wanted. If they want the championship, nothing will stop me from getting the championship. Yep. Man City may or may not have been cheating for the past 20 years, whatever it is. You can make your own mind up about that one. But it look with, with this multi-club ownership on top and player trading, it's just another layer of cheating. That being said, Man City are actually weirdly the only club that wouldn't benefit from this because they are the biggest club the biggest in their of model, their group. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're not stealing players from Girona or from New York City, right? So weirdly, they're not the ones that are profiting mm. from it. But um, Adam, you're so. Are you surprised this loss? There were a few teams who voted that I was surprised they went against. Yeah, them. what this, was your? This was the point I was going to bring up that whilst we can speculate on the bigger teams on the rationale for what they've actually tried to achieve here um there's a few worrying kind of votes from the likes of say sheffield united for example um everton um purely the everton one is based on the fact that they will potentially be taken over yeah. by the 7-7 group but that hasn't been rubber stamps at this moment in time and the other yeah. situation you could have here rory is that another club benefits from a potential, you know, transfer that could send them down at the end mm-hmm. of the season. That that could still happen, right? And the same goes for Sheffield United as well here. Yep. Sheffield United, obviously, the influence here is that their Prince Abdullah, I think is his name, that owns Sheffield United, he's a Saudi Arabian resident, obviously, and therefore that but was It's part of the royal family. Part of the royal family. So therefore, yeah. there you go. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> that one done. Exactly. Um, but you've got clubs like Burnley as well that have voted for this, and they're part These of a the ones... group, aren't they? They're part of a different group that is part of Europe, but I wouldn't say they necessarily benefit from them. Um, I don't think... I didn't think they were part of it. Is there one club that's, that's also in part of their group i'm not sure there's maybe a team in switzerland or something yeah the one that confused me was wolves wolves confused me, but then you Zurich. remember yeah that's the yeah group, yeah it's not an official connection is it it's no it's not in the same sense as the other teams yeah. that I was talking about but you know look brentford i've got the fc midgelands tie for example but they voted against it i know well this is more the rationale that they were a bit more of the fans perspective right yeah um Whereas the other groups are looking more selfishly about what they can achieve from their kind of transfer dealings, right? And that, yeah. that's the main so advantage. This is, I find it all very, very depressing. And I think, look, it'll be interesting to see what happens now with, because it, Newcastle fans are, are going to turn around and be like, oh, it's just victimizing Newcastle. It's because they don't want us breaking into the top six. Like, And financial fair play does prevent teams from breaking into, mm-hmm. from disrupting the top six. I agree with you there. But you cannot turn around to me and say this is fair. That you now, as a club, don't only have a team that you could maybe pick a few players off. You have a league that you can turn around and go, actually, we want Milinkovic-Savic. We want Ruben Neves. We want want Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. We want Sam Maximan back. Whatever it is. And you have this whole league to pick from. And you can just get it all on loan for nothing, mm-hmm. so it doesn't affect your FFP at all. Yeah. How th- there is no Newcastle fan, I refuse to believe there'd be a Newcastle fan that could straight faced turn around and say, No, that's fine. I see no issue with that. Well, because it's yeah. just flat out cheating. We will see what happens in January. 
um, and what transfers they make because it's going to be it is going to be under a microscope mm-hmm. now. And all the teams that did vote against this thing, they're all going to be screaming about it the second Ruben Neves inevitably moves on loan to Newcastle to solve their injury crisis or to start to solve their injury crisis. You know what I mean? Like, but I just find it like, why is it just not enough for them to have unlimited wealth? Why is that not enough? You've already got the biggest advantage. Look, it's the safety cushion, isn't it? It is, like you say, it's where they might have a situation and they need to pull something out of the bag. Now, it's interesting you said about Ruben Neves because that's the one that's been speculated for a long time. But Eddie Howe yeah. has apparently come out to say he's not interested in Ruben Neves. So apparently that's on the record. So we'll see in January if that move actually happens, right. mate, now. Um, but yeah, I think, look, there's going to be a whole host of question marks now as a result of this going forward. I was surprised at the vote because I thought there would be your usual contenders voting in favour for it. But I didn't think it would be as big a sway. I know it was only yeah, one vote in that respect, but it was enough votes to say we vote for this to remain as a pinnacle piece. And I think the other point just before we end this kind of section was they had a separate vote as well around the third party sponsorship piece, which mm-hmm. they also voted in favour of. So that basically means that say the public investment group in Saudi Arabia, they've got a sister company, they could then sponsor part of the team or club or whatever it be to invest into the club itself so therefore your scenarios like your man cities your chelsea's your newcastle etc can continue to exploit this kind of avenue and this was voted very much in favor by the likes of like daniel levy as well at spurs so there's a well i think there's there yeah, I think like every club, the, the the funny thing is now that all the dirty laundry is coming out and every, mm. there's going to be no football club left behind in this. Like every club is going to have something come out. But it just makes, it reminds me again of the Newcastle thing of their shirt sponsor. When it became their shirt sponsor, they didn't even have a website. <laughs> and, it, and it sponsored them for like hundreds yeah. of millions or whatever. The fucking hell. But like, I also wanted to talk about the multi-club, where multi-club ownership takes us. Because... Yeah. It's becoming more prevalent in football now, mm-hmm. right? And not only in the top divisions, like there will be teams in the Bulgarian third division that are owned by the same company as Group, the team yeah. in the Thai second division or whatever. Like it's yeah. multi-club ownership everywhere. It brings in issues of like money laundering, gambling, like illegal gambling. It brings in a lot of issues. But with, for example, um, Ineos are due to buy Manchester United, right? Which would make them yeah. part of a multi-club owner with, with Nice. Yeah, yeah. Now, UEFA have turned around and said, if Nice, who are having a fantastic season since we said that the, the Ineos <laughs> yeah. project is terrible, um, if they qualify for the Champions League and Manchester United qualify for the Champions League, only one of those teams will be allowed to compete in the Champions League. Now, we all know who Ineos are going to pick. Yeah. Sorry, Nice fans, but you're going to miss out on mm-hmm. European football. Yep. Like... And it, I, I was kind of thinking about this, and I thought, in England, I couldn't own Arsenal and Crew Alexandra, right? No, yeah, yeah. Just in case they met each other, right? Just yeah, in a yeah. slight, like... Percentage chance I'm this fully happens. aware Crew Alex are never going to be in the Premier League, right? <laughs> yeah. But the chance they might meet in the FA Cup or the League Cup is enough for him to be like, no, you can't own those two things. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an argument that you cannot own two clubs on the same continent. There has to be that uh, that argument. Mm. Or if Infantino turns around and makes this Club World Cup as big as he inevitably is going to make it, yep. 
you can't own two clubs. Yep. Like, I think there has to be a rule of this at some point because with football getting more global and more more competitions, the chances of teams meeting each other is increasing. Mm. So I think that's my proposal to solve it. Yep. But do you have any faith that Seferin and Infantino are even going to slightly give a shit about this? No, no, because they've got their own objectives at the moment. And I think Seferin has already indicated a few times now um, that he doesn't have any issue with the concepts because he feels this is the mm-hmm. only way that football is going to be accepted going forward, that there has to be like multi-ownership of like groups of teams in different leagues, even if they are on the same continents. Now, I think he is either really naive or he doesn't really see the kind of leaves for the trees in that respect because mm-hmm. I think he's very blinded by the money side rather than the actual moral aspect of the game itself here that we're trying to kind of persuade people to start thinking about because like you say yeah we're going we're going to have a lot of this kind of exploitation um of certain teams to benefit the wealth of the bigger teams so look you know italy there was that really weird scenario with salernitana and lazio's owner lotito who has <laughs> yes. owns salernitana obviously salernitana then were promoted into Serie A. And you had that really weird scenario in that kind of um, winter, was it last like year, basically? To sell the club. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, he yeah. had literally weeks where potentially the club yeah. could have been demoted to Serie B. And that was like, mm-hmm. the league didn't know what to do because they'd never come across this situation. But we will have more and more of these kind of scenarios. Look, Girona doing really well in La Liga. They could be in the Champions League potentially yeah. if they carry on. Now, I don't think they will, but there is those chances that these kind of clubs could be good enough to like be in those positions. Now, what happens when Man City and Girona are then in the Champions League? One of them has got to be sacrificed. So we know which yeah. one is not going to be sacrificed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And it's it's like you just these. So at that point as well, you get to a point where you're owning a club and you don't want to do too well with exactly them. right. You're like, oh, let's do well, which you know, plenty of owners, plenty of fans <laughs> might say that's what our owners do already. Probably, where yeah. they're like, let's not do too well, but um, but like, yeah, where you're like, oh, it's kind of like that balancing act of like, okay, let's be decent, but okay, tank the season, tank, tank, yeah. tank the season, sack the manager, bring in Tony Adams now, <laughs> like. <laughs> We can't not have City in the Champions League next year. Like it's just, it's just yet another issue within football that just annoys me that these people are ruining the fucking game. And there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to reverse it. There is at no point any decision that's going to get us back to like a sensible game. And until they have a franchise model like America. Mm-hmm. Because it is a lot of American investment as well. Yeah, yeah, and they've been fairly open with the fact that they see European football as a huge untapped mm-hmm. market that they can mine lots of money from. Um, until they have the franchise model where you have like, you know how it works in America where you have the farm teams yeah. and then the, you just get moved up and down yeah, yeah, as exactly. and when they choose, right? Um, if you're in the farm teams, you get paid sod all, mm-hmm. by the way. And you just get called up for one game. No, not good enough. Drop back down and moved all around the country. Really kind of brutal existence, to be honest, until they have that system. And when they can just pick a team, move it and decide where the market's stronger. 
that's what they are aiming for. That's what the European Super League was kind of the first step towards, mm-hmm. right? It was like, okay, well, now we only play each other. Okay, so then we don't really need to be at home. We can just play in Re-edition Saudi Arabia or whatever. whatever yeah. So you can just see where it's going. And it's really just really fucking depressing. And it makes me really angry. And I just think, obviously, this vote is going to come around again next season, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the teams that voted for it may not be in the league next year yeah. it looks like um so that's a positive so maybe this time next year we get a different answer um but also the one about shirt sponsors is a very concerning vote as well because it's just more ways to cheat isn't it and get around financial oh, yeah, fair play exactly. and without getting to, even further into it i don't know if the premier league is fit for purpose at this point i honestly don't know if they're able to manage their own league and well no they're not able to manage their own league and i think in any other vote any majority would win mm-hmm. like 51 percent would win yeah, like yeah. brexit was like it was bloody close right so i don't get why it isn't there yeah i don't get why it isn't you just need one team either way that's the majority sorry because there was still a majority of teams that said no to this so yeah, most yeah. of the league are pissed off about exactly this. so i think the premier league also needs and you can get into independent regulators and all that as well but the premier league also is not fit for purpose at this point and is mm-hmm. just being run by six teams yeah massively basically. massively and i think that your last point is a really good one because um, one of the comparisons was around Richard Scudamore when he was running the Premier League mm-hmm. and he allowed the Glazers to buckle all of that debt on the club without yeah. actually spending their own kind of fortunes on the investment of that takeover. Now, look, they've bent over backwards to ensure that money continues to flood into the game, uh, more importantly to the Premier League to ensure that it is the yeah. top league in the world. It's the most kind of viewed league in the world. Um and they want to maintain it. So they want to expand that kind of appeal. And this is where the Saudi Arabia influence is now coming through. So you've got that as well as the Qatars, because the Qatars are very keen to invest. Obviously, they they had a close bid with Man United, obviously. Um, and I suspect they'll be back. They'll be sniffing for another club, potentially. They yeah. could be even sniffing at your equivalents like you're not in Forest in the future. You know, those kind yeah, of clubs yeah. that have got a good owner but potentially to take it to the next level they see the potential they yeah. see the history they see the potential that this club Support could be base. even bigger yeah. so i think there'll be potentially more investment coming in and i think there's been a lot of rumors about championship clubs going through that sem- mm-hmm. similar spate where you've got those kind of fallen ex-premier league clubs being touted as the next kind of investment opportunity so watch this space is all i can say um obviously yeah. different levels when we're talking about championship that's probably for another episode as well to be fair rory because i'm not going to do mm-hmm. it justice in this one minute well, segment no, exactly. or whatever and but yeah the, the thing is the owners get dodgier and dodgier <laughs> further down you go as there well, as well. <laughs> uh, they do get well maybe not dodgier they just get a bit less competent don't they i suppose um i'm just thinking of the sheffield wednesday owner to be honest, but, um, <laughs> and the string of yes yeah and the string of birmingham owners that they've had um but yeah it's all a bit depressing. We're sorry, guys, but um, hopefully this vote next year will be voted down and we can kind of claim something back. Yes. Um, 
But yes, we will watch Newcastle's transfer activity with a very keen eye yes. this January. Um, we will see. But we are going to take a very, very quick break, guys. Um, and after this, we're going to come back and actually talk about football. We're going to talk about the game that we love and who might win and score more goals than the other. <laughs> so we will see you after this break. Hi, I'm David Wheeler, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. Ciao, benvenuti. Here we are. We are ready to talk about the Premier League and Serie A. And I think it's a bigger weekend. Oh, is it a bigger weekend in Serie A or in the Premier League this week? It's tough, eh? I don't know. I think there's some juicy ties here across both leagues. But what I was going to say, Rory, when I was looking at this pre-kind of record here, Injuries are playing a huge part in this weekend because we don't quite know, even to this day, which players are going to be playing this weekend and who's definitely out. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of that playing on a lot of teams' mind, And it's screwing up with my fantasy football. Oh, so mate. I am really screwed up with that one. I don't know which team to play, pick or even players to have in the team. But Yeah, for my fantasy culture, if I could just, if someone could tell me if Locatelli is starting for Juve, it would really be great because it's kind of my midfield kind of hinges on it at the moment. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, Osimhen is a possibility to come back, but not sure. Gabriel Jesus for Arsenal, nobody's quite sure. There's a lot of injuries at the, at the yeah. moment. Um, Jared as Bowen as well for West yeah. Ham, for example. Um, Man City have a team's worth of players that are injured, supposedly, but there's a My few that are likely them. to turn up. So um, yeah. They'll just have to play that second world-class 11 they've got. Like, of course yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a hard life. But um, let's start in. I'm going to make an executive decision. Let's start in Italy. Let's start okay, in Italy. Cool. And we talked about Lotito. Um, and mm. we've got Soledad taking exactly. on Lazio on Saturday. Um, yeah. So Latito visiting his former club. Well, kind of mm. former. It's his son who Ish. owns Soledad now or something, <laughs> right? Or it's in his wife's name. I'm not sure how it worked. But um, yeah, Soledad taking on Lazio. Lazio still having a pretty miserable season. Um, nothing's really going well. They've lost and drawn their last two games. Um Thankfully, Salernitana are feeling pretty generous at the moment. They've still not won a game, um, and they have a goal difference of minus 16. Um, Them being at home, do you think this gives them any chance, Adam? No, unfortunately not. I've not really seen any signs to suggest that actually people in Zaga is turning this around. Um, And yeah, I think whilst they do have some incredible like individual players, shall we say, they've not necessarily been playing well this season. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been relying on Ochoa to get them out of the de- really depths of, I suppose, their defending at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, f- I would anticipate Lazio, given the quality they've got, that they should really see a good result for them. But that said, look, um, there's been quotes in the press, Sari's, pretty much given an indicative view that he doesn't see his future at Lazio. Um, when he, he was quoted as saying, is there any cigarettes in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. And the reporter says, yes. Well, I might consider it then, basically. so He also said he never should have left the Premier League. That was an interesting quote in itself, because he <laughs> didn't he initially start by saying that he was mucking about for the last few yeah, weeks? Yeah. Like, he wasn't taking it seriously. Yeah, and yeah. then... He said this was the worst decision about coming back to Serie A. Maybe, sorry, 
you made the worst decision by coming back to a club like Lazio, which you knew was in a shit heap, and you've helped yeah. them out. Don't get me wrong, but I, clearly you knew what the politics was in that kind of club. You know you're not going to get money. You knew it wasn't going to be straightforward. Yeah, exactly. You know you're not going to get money, and you know you're not going to get what you want. Latito is one of the biggest-headed big heads of Serie <laughs> exactly. owners. Like, All about him, right? He's not flexible. But yeah, I think, look, uh, Maricio, you've let me down with this title challenge that was meant to happen. But I think... That, <laughs> I like, thought you weren't going to mention it this week. <laughs> I did, right. Um, but I find it... Because the Chelsea one's interesting because he always knew he was going to get sacked at Chelsea. Even though he absolutely bummed us in the Europa League final and they had a pretty good season, <laughs> it was still clear that he was going to get sacked. So I feel like I don't blame him for pissing around at the end. But yeah, it's not been a great season for Lazio. I think he'll make it to the end of the season and then it'll be a, mm. a parting of the ways, right? But Salernitana, you might be looking a bit longer for your first win of the season. Um, that is a three o'clock kickoff um, here, as uh, in Italy, yeah. on Saturday. Um, the late game on a Saturday, or the first late game on a Saturday, is an absolute... Yeah banger yeah. as well um we've talked about the possibility of a return of mm. victor Osimen, gabriel uh, no gabriel giacomo raspadori having a very very good international yes, break did. for italy atalanta taking on napoli now again atalanta are having quietly a pretty good season they're still in fifth on 20 points yeah. only one point behind napoli so they win this they go into the top four but they have drawn and lost their last two games only won two of the last five um they're just struggling for consistency atalanta aren't they they are they are and that that's been the main issue i think during the course of the season i don't think some of the signings have turned out as well as they expected um mm. and that that i think mixed in with the inconsistencies of their coach, obviously, I think that's not helped them this season. But look, they they can get results when Skamaka is when he wants to turn up. He can be a huge threat for them. Um, but Rory, I think this is going to be interesting. Mazzari comes back. We'll see what kind of football he's going to introduce for this Napoli of side. It's his first game. It's his first game. I thought when you were doing that kind of intro, I thought you were going to say, and it's Mazzari's first game. But <laughs> I should have done look, it. I should have done. Um, this is going to be interesting because obviously his philosophy is very different to, I suppose, the players that he's got at his disposal. So it'd be interesting whether he plays it by what he thinks is going to be the best 11 or is he going to play it to the style that Napoli fans really mm-hmm. want them to be playing? Um, look, you've got Giacomo Raspadori who's in great form, but I think there are issues behind him. I think it's how do you get that service to him? Politano not been too brilliant, but he's been inconsistent where he has some really good days. Other days he goes quiet um, look, Shalinsky has been the most consistent, I would say, out of mm-hmm. everyone in that team. Um, but then defensively, they've been quite poor as well. And Meretz hasn't had a great season either. So look, it's across the pitch. Um, this has the hallmarks of a draw, personally, for me. But well, I, was I just, mean, yeah, I was just looking, looking at, at Atalanta's... records. Napoli have been quite on top on these two occasions, mm. haven't they? I was just looking at Atalanta's like match uh, results in the matches against the big team so far. Yeah. They lost to Lazio in Rome, but they drew nil nil with Juventus, and they drew nil nil. Um, they draw nil nil with Juventus twice. Um, but they kind of against the bigger teams, they've done a little bit better. So I think we're going to see them step up a bit. Um, with Mazzari, it's really interesting because 
obviously the last time he was at Napoli, a lot of Napoli fans really looked back very fondly on that team because it yeah, was of course Levet- it was Lavetti, Cavani, Hamshik, yeah. that game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. Like it was a really fun, attractive attacking team. Like Cavani, fucking hell! Like what a player! Like that team was unbelievable. Um, but that was also a very long time ago. Like mm. a very long time ago. So yep. it will be it will be fascinating to see how this goes. Obviously, we spent ages talking up Igor Tudor like it was done. Um yes. but no, it is Walter Mazzari. I don't know how to, how inspired to be by it, but this is we will see well, how inspired we need to be. Look, it's a safe bet for De Laurentiis. De Laurentiis apparently the conversation with Igor Tudor went, which was we like you, but Igor Tudor wanted a two year contract mm. which De Laurentiis didn't want to go. Which I don't blame Baffling for that, to be fair. Baffling. But yeah. look, maybe Tudor's dodged a bullet. And I think that's why Conte isn't even in Napoli either as well. Because apparently he was quoted as potentially being the replacement yeah, for yeah. Rudy Garcia a few weeks prior to his they sack. Couldn't so him. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't him afford him, but I don't think they would have... Um, you would have seen some sort of spat in the press. Imagine about between the against Conte. Oh, that would have been more epic than the uh, do, honestly, fallout, wouldn't like it? The entertainment levels would have been through the roof. We would have had plenty to talk about. So it's like a massive <laughs> yeah. sliding doors moment. But two egos that big in one club, I don't think is really possible. Um, but it should be a very, very good game. Um, I think I'm going to say there's going to be goals, though. I'm going to say there's goals mm-hmm. in that game. I don't think yeah, both yeah. teams, I don't think either team is really defending particularly well. So there should be goals. Yeah. Um, and the late, late game on the Saturday, Milan. Oh hosting Fiorentina. Now, Milan obviously find themselves six points behind Juve um, in third place. They've not won in their last four games. Mm. Fiorentina having a little bit, well, a little bit of a resurgence. They won a game after three straight defeats. (laughs) Um, I think the international break came at a good time for Fiorentina for them to kind of camp down, get, get regrouped, kind of go again. But how do you see this game going? Milan at home haven't been convincing. No, they haven't. And I think if you include this, Rory, so Milan will be missing Olivier Giroud because he's suspended. Rafael Leal has a thigh injury, as it currently stands. Um, then you've got uh, Noah Okafor, who's also down with a thigh injury. Jeez. I don't know where this game actually oh, goes. It's going to be because- Jovic. It's going to be Jovic. This is what I mean. So, you know, in terms of like the players up top for Milan, you look kind of relying on Pulisic, right? You're mm-hmm. probably relying on like Jovic, as you rightly alluded to. Reinders is probably going to be your most offensive player. I mean, this is this is quite desperate, isn't it? There has a been perspective. There has been, and this is how desperate it is. But there's a very, very exciting young player at Milan called Camarda. I think he's 17, 16, 17. Right. People are very, very excited about him. Um, mm. He's like the next big hope of Italian football, I think. And Milan fans are genuinely, I've seen Milan fans saying, start him over Jovic. <laughs> like, I'm not surprised. Start him over Jovic. If he doesn't score, it's fine. It's working towards something. If I have to watch Jovic be ineffective up front one more time, I'm going to kill myself. So I think there's, there's, it is quite desperate times at Milan at the moment. Um, we all know Pioli won't get fired because he never gets fired, but. <laughs> I think Fiorentina could get a win here. I, I that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, look, Bonaventura, as long as he oh. starts, 
I fancy him to have a screamer of a goal. And look, Nicky Gonzalez, he likes to take on his man. So again, not offensive for it. The problem with Vincenzo Italiano this season with Fiorentina is very much like the beginning of last season, which is they were so shit for the first half yeah, of the season. Yeah, They'd yeah. have one or two decent results where you've like, they might turn oh, this around go. and then they yeah. just don't. They just yeah. go on this like free game losing run. And they yeah. did the same before the um, obviously international break. So look, this is probably the best chance that Fiorentina have at getting a result in Milan. And I was looking yeah. back at the head-to-heads. The last time they got a result was back in 2019 when Frank Ribery was playing oh. for Fiorentina that day. They won 3-1. Uh, Rafael Leal scored a late goal for Milan that day. And prior to that, it was a year later, Federico Chiesa was still playing for Fiorentina and he scored the only goal of the game. So it's been a while for Fiorentina to get a result in Milan. But um, this is probably the best opportunity mm. they've had, Rory. This I is going to be the best think, chance they've had. I think so. On Sunday, we do have Cagliari taking on Monza at half 12. Um, Frosinone taking on Genoa. Genoa looking bang in trouble financially with 777 shock um <laughs> things looking really really bad they're like quite desperate i think they kind of got promoted by accident um, <laughs> it's like really really not good the only good thing there at the moment is retegui and it's really weird because that squad was looking good and they have looked all right and they're looking like they're fairly stable but in the background mm-hmm. it's just a bin fire and they're about to take over everton so yeah that's exciting um we have <laughs> empoli taking on sassuolo i think that's a bit of a derby empoli sassuolo i think they're both from the same they're region in the same the region the aren't they yeah. yeah um roma hosting udinese so that'll be a draw and then yeah. the one we're all looking <laughs> forward to on sunday evening I, I love how I know like I know how fixture lists aren't random, but I love I like to think they're random and that it's just yep. fallen like this. But we've been waiting for football for two weeks and we get Juve taking on Inter. <laughs> it is absolutely massive this game. Um one point separates the no two points separates two points the two at teams. The moment. So if Juve do win it, they will go top. Um but this is going to be the immovable object versus the unstoppable force. Because I think Juve are going to do sod all in this game. Um, <laughs> Inter have to come out and play their game. Inter have to just be like, you can't try they and have to like, you can't try and get in the trenches with Juve because no, no, no. they're just gonna they'll just wait. Park the bus. They'll yeah. leave the ball in the middle of the pitch and just wait for you to do something <laughs> with it. Like so, I think Inter have to just turn up and be right. Let's football them to death. But we also know that Juve are very, very effective. And if they catch Inter on the break and get the first goal, I think that's it, game over. Yeah, I I do fear for Inter based on defensively what they could be playing. So they've got De Frey, potentially Damian, and obviously Bastoni is off injured. So it's going to be a Cherubi right in that. Who has been very good this season and last season? Look, yeah. if I was going to call out any of those three, the two I'd say is Damian obviously had a fantastic mm-hmm. performance with the Azuri and Acerbi has been great over the last two seasons. So I have no doubts. It's the three that I'm a bit suspect <laughs> of, to be honest. Yeah. And look, I, I do fancy Inter, but like you rightly allude to, this is Allegri. They're not going to play it to their hands. They're going to make it difficult. They'll do the set pieces. They'll play the direct balls. So my only question mark with Juventus is 
who they're going to play up front. Is it going to be Moses Kane or are they going to go with Dusan Flavic to hold up or try and hold up the ball, right? Um, and then it's just a question mark of what chances they're going to create because I don't think it's going to be through open play. I, I, I think no, no, no. Inter are going to contain them. But where Achilles' heel for Inter is that in these kind of games, they can sometimes get caught up by the emotion of it sometimes. So, look, it's going to be a fascinating match. I cannot wait to watch yeah, it. Yeah. But I'm hoping and praying we don't see Allegri win this. I, I'm, I genuinely <laughs> yeah, well, want yeah, Inter, yeah, yeah. I want Inter yeah. to win this purely because footballing-wise, I think they're the better side. Um, but that yeah. goes out the window in this game. This is all about the derby. They hate each other. Um, look, it's the only be, thing that's in Inter's favour is they've won the last two of mm-hmm. these kind of head-to-heads. So this is where it's going to be interesting. Um, but like you say, Locatelli miss, potentially missing for this Which match. is huge. Which is huge yes. for Juve. Could be huge for Juve because he's been so instrumental in their midfield, like creatively and defensively. Like he yeah. has, he's, he had a, a rough start at Juve to his career coming from Sassuolo and there was a lot of pressure on him. It didn't really work out, but he's really coming. He's really turning mm-hmm. into the player that we thought he would be. Um, he's been fantastic, I think. And the other good thing for Juve is that Chiesa has just had an unbelievable international break. Now, we talked <laughs> in the last episode about that's because Spalletti tells him to attack, but there's a potential there that Allegri might see something and be like, you know yep. what, just go. But that being said, Inter's strength is on their wings. Like Di Marco and Dumfries, the wing backs, are mm-hmm. both unbelievable. I know Dumfries is like unpredictable, is an understatement, but like it. A lot of their strength is in the wing back, so Chiesa's going to have his work cut out. But I think you made a really good point with who they're going to start up front because Dusan Vlahovic can't buy a start, let alone a no. goal at the minute. No. Um, how quickly football changes. Arsenal were linked with him this week, and I was like, oh, no, thanks. Whereas two years ago, <laughs> exactly. I was bitting your hand off. Like, exactly, yeah. I was on this pod begging for him to come to the Emirates. Yeah. And it was linked this week. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm all right. Cheers. Um, maybe I'm just fickle and don't don't know enough. But yeah, I think if they start him, because there is an argument that he could hold the ball up and cause a nuisance. But that's him at Fiorentina. That's not him at Juve. No, no. He can't turn his centre back very well. That's what I've noticed of his time at Juventus. Whether that's down to the service they provide him, right? Because he does, he works on scraps essentially, yeah, yeah, and if yeah, he has a true. chance, it's him trying to create something. You can see between him and Federico Chiesa, they try and link up, right? Yeah. And they try and create each other opportunities. But sometimes it's been from the penalty spot where yeah, yeah. obviously Dusan Vlahovic has got his goals from. Um, Look, there's a good player there. I, I genuinely think there's a good player. He just needs a right coach that will provide him. And, and do you know what? I think, I'd hate to say it, but I think a place like Chelsea would do him the world of good. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. where chances are going to be created for him and he only has to focus on being a striker rather than a target man. I don't yeah, think yeah. target man is his natural position. And what he did well at Fiorentina was being that focus point. He was the man to just get the goals, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so potentially that's where it would help him in his career. But yeah, back to this game. I, I think he's going to play it with someone like Moses Kane because I think he knows his versatile. He will yeah. cause issues. He will do exactly to the letter what Allegri wants. And then he might bring on Milik as well later on. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say to you, though, I think where the battle is going to be won or lost is in the middle of the park, personally. Uh-huh. 
I think it'll be interesting to see what Allegri deploys on Chonologu, um, but also Barella is going to be having a big game here as well. And it'll be interesting to see what combination they'll go with those two. Will it be Mkhitaryan? Will yeah, it be yeah. Aslani? I, I, I doubt it'll be Aslani. I think Aslani's more of a Chanologu yeah. replacement. But, I mean, from your point of view, do you see Fratesi potentially making a mark in this game? I think Fratesi is a player that you can bring on late on, right? Yeah. I think he's that kind of impact player to just pace in the midfield, run late runs into well, the box. Right? I think having him as a bit of a dynamo off the bench would be would be very good. But I think, yeah, I think you'll probably see Mkhitaryan for the for the experience and for mm. the like, you know, calm head in midfield. I think will probably be a very good shout. But it's a big test for Inzaghi because this is the first real chance for him to claim you know, I'm going for the title, right? Like, I'm... Yeah, yeah, exactly. We are... We are favourites, right? So I think it's a really mm-hmm. big test for him. So it'll be interesting. I'm honestly... It's what the most I've, I've looked forward to one of these games in a very, very long time. Um, yes. And that is because Juve are very effective. They're not fun, but they're effective and they are getting the job done and it does add intrigue to it. So that yeah, is definitely. the game. That we're All I was going to say quickly was this is the first time Juventus have had to play a bigger side apart from Milan yeah. a few weeks ago, which they were fortunate that there was they, a sending off in helped, that game. Right? They? they were yes, definitely helped. Exactly. Um, and the last two games to finish off the weekend, on Monday, we have Verona taking on Lecce and Bologna hosting Torino. That is the Serie A yes. roundup. Um, oh, I'm excited. Let's go to the Premier <laughs> League where we've got lots of matches and it kicks off again with an absolute bang. Belter. Um, oh, the, the fixture gods have been very kind to us. Um, <laughs> half past one, half past 12 UK time. Um, yep. We have Manchester City hosting Liverpool. I obviously am praying for a draw. Um, let's just call it nil-nil now and we can all go home. I'd be perfectly happy <laughs> with that. Um, how do you feel about this game? I still feel like Liverpool, people are sleeping on Liverpool a lot. I think people are not appreciating how good mm-hmm. they've been. I think what will be interesting is how um, Pep takes this game because obviously Edison's had to pull out of the Brazil squad because of a foot injury. So that might play a part in terms of how they play that defensive line. Because look, I never Ortega, trust Pep. I think he is just a very takes good... his players out of international duty though. I'm pretty sure. Well, let, let's see what who actually turns up on the day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a strong indication that Ortega will be ah, playing okay. this okay. match is what I've read so far. Um, but like you know, Rory, he likes to change it up, doesn't he? Um, but defensively is where I think obviously Man City will get caught. Is It does feel like Vardiol will be on that left-hand side. Um, that's a huge opportunity for Liverpool to take advantage mm-hmm. of because if they saw what, what was his defensive abilities against Chelsea, mm-hmm. uh, there's a mistake there to be had. Yeah. And I think they will be testing him down that right-hand side or as it would be for Man City down that left-hand side. Also, um, Man City have a bit of a dilemma of who they have supporting potentially Erling Haaland as well because Julian Alvarez looks like he might not be in time for this game because he will be flying back from Argentina. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was that. I don't know if you saw it, but a bit of drama with that Argentina match with yeah, Martinez yeah. lashing out. <laughs> what a legend, uh, by the way. Security. What a legend that's, is, that's his personal personality coming out legend. there. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. I think no, not enough respect has been given to this Liverpool side. 
this is going to be a huge game. I cannot wait because, again, just the different elements of both sides, I think, is going to play a part. But let's not also forget about the frailties of Liverpool. I think mm. defensively, they're also there to be had. Um, it sounds like Joe Gomez might be preferred at left back, which Joe Gomez is not someone I fancy personally. I don't. I think he's a bit like a Guardiola, where he has a mistake in him there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I'm not too convinced about who's the partnership with Van Dijk as well, because Konate is supposedly injured. So who right. goes next to him? I think that's the question mark there as well it's, to be had. It's weird with Liverpool because they're tied with Arsenal with the best defensive record in the league, but they yeah. do look vulnerable at times. But then I, I think about the the Tottenham game when they were down to nine men and how bloody incredibly they, they defended. They were there. incredible that day. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Like I think the issue lies in their midfield. They still haven't found that player who protects the back line, right? And with Man City, mm. you need that disruptor in midfield because you need someone who's going to upset Rodri, yeah. basically. You need someone yeah. who's going to get there and stop that metronome. And I'm not sure if Liverpool have that person in the midfield yet. But I think their front three, whichever front three they decide to play, whether it's um, Luis Diaz, Nunez, or Jota, Salah, whoever... Yeah they can cause any team problems. I think I've really, like, really been impressed with Darwin Nunes. When he comes on, he's just fucking chaos, and he, he scores a lot of goals. And I think yeah, I can see him getting a goal in this game easily and just causing problems. I think he's a real, real handful. And I think that Liverpool attack are looking super exciting. Like They've scored 27 goals already this season. Um, so they're the second highest scorers in the league, or third highest scorers behind... Aston Villa, uh, by Villa and <laughs> Man City. Think that would be said, yeah. <laughs> I had to just, sorry Villa fans, but I had to double check that. Uh, behind Villa and Man City. So they're doing all right in front of goal. So I think our front three has got enough to, to cause problems. But what I really like about this game is that when like City and Liverpool have played in the past, they've always been mm. absolute bomb burners. The games have always been incredible. Yeah. Like, I know Arsenal haven't been competing as long, but the Arsenal City games have not been classics. They've not been like exciting, (laughs) let's just try and kill each other games. It's been chess matches, right? And I feel like these games, Liverpool bring out the chaos in Man City, I think. So (laughs) I think it could be a really exciting game. Yeah, no, without a shadow of doubt, this is the box office game of the weekend, without a shadow of doubt, when you look at the others. I mean, we will probably go into the other one, but the one that I do fancy, Rory, to maybe contend with this is Newcastle and Chelsea, potentially. Yeah. That could be a uh, yeah, I, game as well. The amount of ways I hate this fixture. Yeah, Newcastle against Chelsea is an exciting one. Saturday, 3 o'clock kickoff. Why have they put that as a 3 o'clock kickoff? I know, well, you yeah. know, I can't have my cake and eat it. I would be moaning if Newcastle were playing on the late kickoff on the Saturday. But Newcastle-Chelsea is a bit of a big game, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, Newcastle, massive injury issues. Chelsea doing better against the better mm-hmm. teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, Away, though, still pretty horrific away from home. Um, what do you see happening in this game? I think Newcastle, it might start unravelling with all the injuries they've got. I think they struggle in this game, personally. Given the form of the Chelsea team mm. and players in particular, um, they seem to be right on it. Probably come at the wrong time for Newcastle. The depth of their squad is being tested now because the list of injuries is incredible when you it's look insane. at the list of players that they've got that could be turning up for this match, but they're missing for injury. Like Alexander Isaac and you've got uh, Wilson, Callum Wilson missing out here potentially. 
Um, yeah, there's a number out. of yeah. midfielders that they are still struggling with. Defensively, a bit short as well, Rory. Whereas with Chelsea, there seems to be the opposite. It's not obviously they've still got their potential injuries crisis, if you call it that. But it's more players that you'd expect to be coming back into the fray in the next mm. few weeks or in a month's time, roughly, because Chilwell always seems to be on an injury crisis every I'm time. Um, but apart from that, the other players, they've got players in those positions. So they're actually in a sensible place, I think. It's just going to be a question of how confident is Nicholas Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. and can they continue? <laughs> how many chances say- is he going to have? Because he's going to exactly. miss eight. So can he get two that he can score? <laughs> <laughs> But Cole Palmer would be the interesting one. Yes. Let's see how he picks up after that international break. Obviously, he did play for England, but it would be interesting. Debut. Can he continue the levels that he's displayed over the last few weeks as well? Mm. Um, fascinating game. I'm fancying Chelsea to win this, though, 1-0. I think Chelsea get a win here as well. Mm. I think even though Newcastle at home are pretty good and they've not lost since Arsenal beat them last season... Yeah, I do feel like there's a bit of momentum being lost at Newcastle, um, but we will see. The other three o'clock saw Sheffield United taking on Bournemouth in a battle basement basement yeah. battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be a terrible game, um, <laughs> but I expect Bournemouth to get a win there. To be honest, um, we have Nottingham Forest Ooh, taking on okay. Brighton. We have Burnley taking on West Ham in the Battle of the Clarets. And Luton Town taking on Crystal Palace in a kind of London derby. Is Luton technically London? It's not London, is it? Well, no. The airport pretends to be in London, doesn't it? But yeah. Oh, it's like Ryanair London, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah London yeah. South End. Yeah. <laughs> that one blew my mind, London <laughs> South End. Absolutely incredible brass neck from Ryan. Um, and then the late kickoff on Saturday is Brentford hosting Arsenal. Um, mm. Aaron Ramsdale is going to play in this game. Uh, because well, David Ryan, you know, Arteta play. had no choice, did he? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what. Whoever's briefed at Arsenal, they really need to learn. They released today the news that David Raya is going to be signed. Like it's official. You know, Arsenal oh, okay. have been like, "Oh, we'll pay the twenty-seven million." The day before Aaron Ramsdale, or two days before Aaron Ramsdale is going to make, it, going to actually play a game. I feel like oh, timing, lads. Come on, um, <laughs> but. It's really interesting now with the Ramsdale thing because it's all looking towards January and like what the hell's going to happen. Mm. I think he's going to be sold and I'm going to be really gutted when yeah. he goes. But um, he also, his dad came out and did an interview talking about yeah, his son. It did. was really, yeah. I hope Ramsdale was like, come on, dad, please. It's quite embarrassing. My dad coming out and defending me in public. Unless you know that, was I mean? Unless that was been, deliberate. It could have been. If it's deliberate, it's I feel not- like it's... It's not played out that way. I think potentially, I think the idea was to yeah. position it as almost like Arteta's made these promises. It hasn't fruition. It's causing my son to have these kind of mental health issues as well. He yeah. kind of indicated to it, but then it's actually become or like played out as being a bit too desperate. Um, I think it's bit- not come across how they would no. have wanted it to. Um, no, and it's not put him in a particularly great light, but. I'm excited to see him back in the team. I do. We'll always love Aaron. Um, and I think this is like an interesting game for Arsenal. I think we should be okay. I think we should touch wood, get the win. But Brentford, they mm. they they are definitely improving as of late. They had a really yeah, yeah, poor start to the yeah, season, yeah. but they're improving in lots. So I think it's going to be a tricky game for Arsenal, but we've only conceded three away goals in five games, I think, so far. So mm. our, our away record defensively is pretty good. So we should touch wood. <laughs> be okay but the games on sunday are pretty exciting 
They are um, as well, right? This is going to be a banger. Tottenham Aston mm. Villa. Thoughts? Yeah, I cannot wait to see this because obviously Ben he's well aware of the injury crisis that Spurs have, and I think Ange Postecoglou is going to uh, kind of look at his team and mm. kind of try and work out what is his winning formula. But yeah, Aston Villa looked dangerous. They, I mean, I don't think they wanted this international break to happen. I think genuinely they would have wanted to carry on playing football at this moment in time because, you know, they were just scoring for fun. That was the kind of element that I was getting. That, that you know, it didn't matter if they got a goal behind. They seemed to just create more opportunities. And the players like McGinn, for example, Ollie Watkins, Matty Cash is contributing a lot. They are just exciting, you know, and you got Diaby as well. It's just what a signing that guy is turning out to be as well. It's incredible. And I really think against that high line at Tottenham. Like that's gonna be exploited. Like as like if Ange well, it's not even an if when Ange sticks doggedly to his system, which is fine. You know, you do yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. But if there's no, one no. thing teams would have learned from Aston Villa is don't step up too high because if they get those through balls, you are fucked. Like <laughs> and it's just I feel like we're gonna see Aston Villa like kind of like the Brighton game where they just absolutely blew yeah, them out of the water. Them apart, yeah. That if if Aston Villa get their tails up quickly this could spiral for Tottenham quite quickly, mm-hmm. I think. And I know that's partly me being wishful thinking and hoping that Emery <laughs> kind of gets gets one over. But I really think that if Tottenham don't manage this properly, and that, like you said, with a depleted squad, there's no dodgy through um, through suspension yeah. and missing a Van few Van players. Van for example, missing. Exactly, yeah. I think. So this, this game is going to be decided in the first 10, 15 minutes, I think, yeah. honestly. Um, 100%. And then the late kickoff on Sunday, because I am aware of time, uh, is where all the headlines are going to be off the pitch. Um, well, as yeah. Mike from they're the Unholy Trinity, they're it off as we speak. Rory. Uh, it's all getting off. ready, right? It's all yeah. getting ready. There, there are men, there are dads in their dining rooms painting on bed sheets in dining room <laughs> tables somewhere um, across Merseyside. But Everton are hosting Manchester United. Um, I can only see an Everton win here, honestly. I think Gilderson Park is going to be absolutely bouncing. What an atmosphere that is going to be. <laughs> it's going to be fierce. And I think if there's any team that you want to turn up into that atmosphere, it might be Manchester United, who doesn't really give a shit. How do you see this one going? <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. I, uh, we've got a good quote, potentially, that we might be calling out at the end of the show, so I might not spoil it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, Man United are really struggling, aren't they, at this moment in time? I don't know how they're going to approach this game. Uh, I don't even think that Ten Hag knows how he's going to approach this game, to be honest. <laughs> no, um, because th- this is the thing, but Everton are going to be just so gunning for this. And I, I can see the crowd helping them to win this game. That's what I think it will be. I think it will be that kind of cauldron that Man United players will not expect. Um, any kind of mistakes are going to be pounced on, I, f- I, s- I suspect, anyway. Um, but yeah, look... Man United sort of seemed like they were picking up some form of late, um, or, although they weren't that great results. Um, but look, I just I, I think they're waiting until they can get to January just to make some signings yeah. at this stage. Um, I feel like the but, performances haven't improved, even though they beat Fulham. Nah. The performance was fucking terrible, and like when yeah, they have won, I don't think there's been a game where they've looked decent <laughs> like no, 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 they've no, just yeah, yeah, exactly. won by accident or there's been like an individual moment of brilliance like that yeah. Fernandez goal at the end right where it's like Scott oh McTominay genius. against Brentford or something like that yeah, yeah. like Brentford throwing away the fucking game there as yeah. well like and I think so the yeah it's the performances for Man United that are obviously so disappointing I think 
it reminds me of when Sean Dyche took over at Everton and the first game was Arsenal at Goodison Park. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, all oh, right, well, we've lost this one. And it just reminds me of that, really. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. So I think that could be uh, an entertaining game down there, a late yes, game on the Sunday. Definitely. And then to wrap up, we have on Monday, Fulham taking on Wolves. Fulham kind of low-key in a relegation battle, I think. They're really mm. starting to sleepwalk into it, I think. Um, they ha- also, Silver signed a new long-term contract, which is... Fairly brave move. Yeah, um, that, that's a bizarre kind of move by Fulham, odd, especially given the position that they've been in. So, yeah. you know, Paulinho looks like he'll be gone in January as well. He's their so one good player as well. Right? That's what I mean. So as soon <laughs> yeah. as he goes, yeah. they are going to be so <laughs> screwed. Alex Wobi in defensive midfield. I don't know what they're going to do, <laughs> oh, right? do, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's the Serie A Premier League roundup, guys. Um, we're going to come back with the Mastermind Quiz and it's my turn test adam we will see you on the other side with the tension adequately set it is time for the master mind quiz adam are you mentally prepared are you ready (laughs) for to run the gauntlet Yes, I'm mentally awake as well, Rory. So let's. <laughs> let's you got crack one up on, on me because <laughs> these questions are going to come incredibly slowly. I think. Um, so we have two mm. potential topics. Yes. We have the the ever present debut teams in Europe this season. Yeah. Or we have European Championship history. Oh. Um. Let us go with European Championship history. Okay, I'm going to set one minute on the clock. Um, Let me get it. Uh, I'll edit this out. Good. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Uh, Timer. One minute. Here we go. Okay, three, two, one. Which team won the first tournament in 1960? USSR. Correct. Um, which country won the 2012 tournament? 2012. Oh, Germany. No. Um, I've just. No. In 1992, when Denmark unexpectedly won the uh, the competition, name one of the goal scorers in the final. Laudrup. No. Um, in 1996, the opening match of the tournament at Wembley, what was the result between England and Switzerland? 1-1. Nice. Good work. Uh, which two European countries co-hosted the, the Euros in 2000? Belgium and Holland. Very nice. Um, who won the golden boot in the 2012 tournament? David uh, Oh, no. That's really unlucky. That's really unlucky. Okay, I think you got three there, but I need three, to, yes, I'm gonna have to go back three. and listen because I couldn't concentrate <laughs> on two things at once. You could hear me scrolling in the background as well, I think. Uh, so, which team won the tournament in 1960? It was, USSR. of course, the Soviet Union, USSR. Yep. You got that one right. Good work. Um, which country won the 2012 tournament? It was Spain. Yeah, I kicked myself after I said Germany. Um, yeah. The 2000s, no, wait, was that? No, not that question. Um, Who scored Denmark's two goals in the final? 
John Jensen. I said Laudrup. Yeah, I was going to say John Jensen's the other one, yeah. John Jensen and Kim Vilfort. Um, I'm not yeah. sure who that is. Uh, the opening match of the tournament at Wembley, what was the result of England-Switzerland? 1-0. One one, one. You got that one, one. right. Yeah. Uh, which two European countries co-hosted the Euro 2000 tournament? Belgium Holland and Netherlands. Belgium. Yeah. Um, who won the golden boot for the tournament in 2012? It was his strike partner, Fernando Torres. Uh... Annoying, so three, annoying. not bad. But, uh, yeah, it's good. I'm happy it's with that. Good. I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, good work. Well, there you go, guys. <laughs> um, going out with a bit of a whimper there, not really much of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, good work, Adam. Um, Cheers, I, again, I, at some point, I'm going to go back and listen and add up all these points. Work out these scores. Point, because we I think you're still ahead with that crew round. I know, yeah. <laughs> it would have been easier to just do this week by week, but you know, that would be too organized. Oh, well. um, Never mind. So, good. Guys, thank you for joining us. Um, As always, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We've enjoyed having you. Um, Adam, anything to say before I send these people off? No, enjoy this weekend and uh, make sure you join us on Monday night on the live stream. Rory is probably not going to be making it, but I will be there with some guests. So make sure you join us and just follow our socials as well. I'll keep you in the loop. If I do make it, I'm going to be so ropey. Um, I have a <laughs> wedding in Madrid this weekend, so I'm not sure yeah. what state I'm going to turn up in. But I will try my best to be there, guys. But don't hold it against me if I'm not. Um, as always, <laughs> hit the like and subscribe button down here. Um, yep. If you're on your podcast, instead of doing that, give us a rating um, and leave a comment if you like. Just being yeah, nice about that'd be us. really appreciated. Um, and yeah, tell a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at anglo italian pod on tiktok at anglo italian pod and on twitter at italian anglo pod um and our quote for the week to end this week comes from zlatan ibrahimovic talking about manchester united where he said a little bit sexist this but anyway barcelona's (laughs) women's team can beat man united men's team even if they are all pregnant we will see you next week (laughs) ciao adopo ciao ciao Podcast Network.